Hi listeners, Joel here. This is episode four of Not My Forte, season one, Ian Here's the Beatles. This week we are listening to and discussing the Beatles' sixth studio album, Rubber Soul, as well as the singles We Can Work It Out and Day Tripper. This episode we welcome our first ever guest onto the show, singer-songwriter Stephanie Lambring. Stephanie is based here in Nashville, Tennessee, and you're going to hear Ian and I testify at different points in our conversation with her, uh, how great of a songwriter she is. Uh, And if you need any convincing to go check her music out on your own, I would stick around at the end of the episode to hear Ian's very heartfelt uh, endorsement of her music Um, and her as an artist. I'd categorize her sound as Americana. And uh, she has an incredibly honest approach to songwriting. And if you need one song to get you in, I would recommend her song called Pretty, which hit me like a brick wall the first time I heard her album Autonomy, which I can't recommend enough. Please listen along to the Beatles music with us wherever you listen to music, as always. Uh, We can only include very brief clips of some of the songs we're discussing here on the podcast. So uh, again, this week we're listening to the album Rubber Soul and the singles We Can Work It Out and Day Tripper. Come follow us on Instagram at NotMyFortePodcast and lash yourself to us by means of the all-knowing and all-powerful Facebook algorithm by friending our page there which is called not my forte with joel and ian that's how you'll see when we're releasing episodes you'll see what guests we're having on and maybe find out about merch who knows uh there's only one way to find out thank you for listening here is episode four of not my forte Hey, everybody in podcast world. This is your host, Ian Zomback. I'm joined today by my co-host, Joel Russo. Hey, hey. And we have a very special guest with us today for today's episode, my good friend and an absolute uh, gem to music in general, Stephanie Lambring, a national uh, artist. Yeah, I mean, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can edit that out, please. <laughs> But uh, Stephanie released a very critically acclaimed album last year, Autonomy, uh, NPR, Rolling Stone, you name it, got on board with this project, and it is it is as good as everybody says it is. She's currently writing for her next project, so if you're not following Stephanie, do yourself a favor, press pause on this podcast right now, and go find her on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to your music, and get on board because you don't want to be left out and be uncool in my opinion. Would you agree, Mr. Joel? I would 100% agree. Is your music on CD Baby as well? <laughs> I don't think so. I think you've grown oh. grown out of that, right? <laughs> oh, no. There might be a few strays of like okay. an old album yeah. on there, but... Hopefully that doesn't alienate any of our, our <laughs> listeners. Mm. Well, um, the, the, the way we start the show is we always have Ian kind of tell me... We have a conversation about what his instincts or his his first uh, instincts are as far as the Beatles album or albums that we've listened to this week. And then I kind of come back with some facts and we talk about it. But today we have a special guest, Stephanie. So uh, we're going to start asking her a couple questions just about who she is, who the Beatles are to her, if anything. And uh, if not if not the Beatles, who, who has uh, inspired her? So Stephanie, who are the Beatles to you? What kind of history do you have with them? 
Well, my parents were huge Beatles fans. Mm -hmm. Like, my dad even saw them in concert. Whoa. So I'm pretty sure he saw them at the Indiana State Fair. I I forget what year. I meant to call them on my way down here today, (laughs) but I forgot. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he's seen them live. And my mom was a huge fan. She couldn't get tickets to that show, but she apparently went to some movie and, like, screamed in the movie theater. Uh, Some Beatles movie. You you probably know what I'm talking about. Yes, I think it was that. So they were huge fans, and I I heard them a little bit growing up, but I heard a lot more, like, Iris DeMint, Kate Wolf, Norman Blake, like a bunch of singer-songwriters. Like, that was kind of... That was mostly what my dad played, but I know that my parents were huge fans. Okay. And, like, were there any songs that you remember in particular, any ones that, like, stood out? Maybe Hard Day's Night. Mm -hmm. Like, that kind of comes to to mind. Yeah, they weren't a part, a huge part of my upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Great. All right. Mini, mini biography here. When, when did you start playing music? Um, in front of people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Whenever I was 15, 16. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, as Ian said, everyone go check out her album. Uh, it's incredible. We look forward to uh, the next one. I've heard at least one song off the next <laughs> one, and uh, it is living up to all expectations. Great. Well, let's uh, let's get on with it. Uh, Ian, right. let's hear your notes on Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul. Uh, I haven't checked in with Stephanie. Have, did you listen to it as well? Yes. Great. So... <laughs> <laughs> I was saving that for this. I wanted to catch if if you hadn't. I wanted to get that on it. It did seem sort of serendipitous because we've actually gone through five albums to date. Yeah. And if we had had Stephanie on listening to like Beatles for Sale, that would have been a real miss. You yeah. Know? So the fact that you're coming in on this uh-huh. this album feels yeah. very good. Actually, this it feels like the t- for the time to start inviting people in for sure. I agree. Yeah, I 100 agree. Okay, takeaways. All right. Right. Hit me. Okay. Drive My Car, first track off of this album. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I actually couldn't really listen to the songwriting too much about it because I was just feeling like I wanted to drive up the California coast when I was listening <laughs> to the song or like be like in a Quentin Tarantino movie or something. Uh-huh. Not yeah. as somebody that like gets their head blown off, but like... As somebody like, blows their head off. Right, and yeah. drives a cool car. Yeah. Like that's the way I felt about it. Um, I guess the one thing that did stand out it seems like these guys are masters at incorporating parts right parts that cue like a lead into the next verse or whatever mm-hmm. so like they transitions, had a, transitions yeah. and things so they had this piano part that kept on coming in and out during the song and I was like oh you know they're 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 setting a standard again yeah. with their writing for other people that are writing and or producers that are going back and saying like okay we need a part here you yeah know, something that's something that gives a little hook and Mm-hmm. accused the listener that okay we're moving into another yeah moving this to another place so that that's what stood out not not a whole lot of meat there but that's 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 what yeah. that's how it hit me let me interrupt you stephanie what any takeaways from that song or what what were some of your first thoughts i'm, I'm interested to hear what you're thinking because ian has we've listened to everything that the Beatles have put out up until this point over the past three episodes and so what it like as someone who maybe isn't as familiar with their stuff, even as Ian is now, like what was your what was your what was your first kind of reaction to this? How did it hit you? Well, you know, it's of course I recognize the song. I've heard it over and over, mm-hmm. and you know I like the feel of it. Um, but I will say 
you're going to learn this about me. As, so as a, as a songwriter, I'm a lyricist, but as a listener, I'm all about like sonic sounds. Yeah. yeah. And so it drew me in and, and because we were talking about this record today, I actually went and read the lyrics too. I'm somebody that has to read the lyrics yeah. or else I don't get it, I hear you. Which, which feels strange as uh-huh. like a lyricist. It doesn't really make sense, but it is what it is. So I will say like it, I actually understood, paid attention to what the song was saying for the first time. And not that it was saying anything. Sure. Profound. Profound. Right. But yeah. it was cool to see it in a different way. Um, so I was like, oh, oh, this is kind of a cute story. And yeah. I've, never, I've never thought about that song before. Yeah. You know? Because <laughs> usually it's just like beep, 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 beep. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I dove in. <laughs> yeah. Did to you the, also? To the deep. I drove. Did you also <laughs> want to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie when you heard it? Or, well, I'm no? also bad at movies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this, is, this is going great so far. Um, <laughs> sweet. Yeah. Um, the, I do love kind of the story of the song. They have a great line in it, of course, which is like the last line of the song, which is, uh, like she says, I don't have a car yet, but I have a driver and that's a start. That is a great like, line. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's I love pretty that. Great. that. I wasn't yeah. expecting that. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I've heard it. I just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She says, I'm going to be a star the whole song. And then finally it's like, well, when I do have a car, you can be the driver. Mm. That's a pretty good little, little twist. I agree. Yeah. Good lyric writing. Yeah. Um, okay. Second song is Norwegian Wood, which I think is a pretty popular song. At least I think I've heard about it before. Yeah, I think because absolutely. my dad watches these funny YouTube videos of like greatest acoustic guitar intros of all time. And mm-hmm. that seemed to be on that list of the top 10. So I was like, I don't know what that song is. Maybe what else I is on that it. list? I mean, I think Stairway to Heaven was Stairway like the number one, uh-huh. you know, but... Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, we could be here a while. We could be here for a while <laughs> talking about this. But Norwegian Wood, actually, so as we've been listening to these five albums prior to this one, I feel like I'm trying to like not look at notes to find out who wrote yeah. or sang yeah, the song yeah. because I'm trying to become familiar with who whose influence is on the song or who's singing this song. So I think George Harrison is singing that song. I might be wrong. You got to tell me. Mm. Um, but it felt that way to me. Uh, there was a sitar that was yep. included as like the guitar part. This is the first em- uh, emergence of the sitar okay. in their work. <laughs> yep. And when I was listening to it, I was like, man, this sounds like a song that could have been on Zeppelin Three. Actually, like Whoa. if you take it okay. and put it in that camp, I could hear Plant singing it. I could hear Paige playing yeah. it. And then when I referenced when that album came out, it came out five years after this one. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, maybe the Beatles influenced even Zeppelin to move in a direction. I don't know that for sure, sure, but it felt like, okay, they're even preceding that stuff a little bit. So to me, the song was really interesting. It felt like it was breaking new ground for, for them. Uh, and I thought it was a really gutsy move to put that type of song as the second song on, I agree. on the album. Yeah. That was the thing that really grabbed me. I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, these guys are moving into an area where they're just yeah. like, listenership, yeah, you're going to buy what we're playing, right. but we're going to be creative. We're going to do what we yeah. want to do. And I was like, yeah. It's this super fun, that. poppy first song. And then like this super left turn immediately into this kind of like, for the time, very experimental, uh, droney, sitar, weird kind of song that has these different parts to it. Yeah, like song two is a weird is a weird choice. So who did 
write and sing that song? John. It was this John. Is, this is a okay. hardcore John song. Wow, I'm wrong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he Not surprised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it, and one of the things, we haven't talked about this yet, but I think one of the things that makes them so special, especially their harmonies, is that John and George sound alike and George and Paul sound alike. But John and Paul do not sound alike. They don't, yeah. And so, like, that that creates these incredible parts where you have John and Paul singing a lot of things where they're very distinguishable. You can hit, tell who's singing the low, who's singing the high. But then when they sing three parts, George goes in there and it just muddies everything up. Hmm. And and then same thing, yeah, like there are a lot of songs where it's, if it's a lead singer, you, sometimes it's hard to tell if it's if it's George or John. They can, they can feel similar. But, yeah, this one's all John, very angsty. Uh, another interesting story for sure. Okay. Of the, you want to lay it on us? Sure. Well, any takeaways, Stephanie? Well, okay. Yes. And I know y'all are Jason Isbell fans. Mm-hmm. Um, the intro reminds me of Cover Me Up. Oh, yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you hear that? Na, 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 na. Yeah. yeah. I, I just remember thinking that and I know. <laughs> That's just, cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it, that was kind of an interesting yeah. thing. But I, I love the sound of it. And mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought about how that was like. Maybe a new thing at the time, but yeah, I I get I kept hearing like the not in the not yeah. the key, but yeah, that's a really yeah very similar line, and it's droney too. I think yeah, Jason plays it with like an open string. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great song. It's a mm-hmm. really good song. No, I mean, I it just talk goes to that. show right. It just goes <laughs> to show like maybe their influence again. Yeah, like, if we keep keep on revisiting this theme of how much they really were trailblazers i mean as that's it i mean that's the whole thing i think that's the whole reason for talking about them is that even more than listening to their music is is for me is still really fun because of the nostalgia and because i appreciate it so much but i think that's the main takeaway from the beatles is just how much they kind of changed things and they did things first if not first they did it most prolifically mm-hmm. to the it got out to like the most people uh, yeah, that song. So this, it's basically about John goes home with this woman, and they talk until two or three in the morning, and then she says, "Well, it's time for bed because I have work in the morning." And then he goes to sleep in the bathtub, and then he wakes up and she's gone, and then he burns her house down. Is <laughs> this true? Oh. No, that didn't happen. <laughs> but that's the story wow. of the song. Settle down. And you may have picked up on this, but like the lyrical, like I think the first four songs are basically about kind of unrequited love. The first three, like this is a pretty angsty relationship centered uh, album for sure as far as the writing. And this one definitely, I mean, the first one's kind of jokey a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's toying around with it, but this one's like, obviously it's tongue in cheek. He's not being serious, but apparently it was, it was based off of an actual encounter that he had. Wow. Uh, he didn't burn anybody's house down. But at the end, he says, so I lit a fire, isn't it good, Norwegian wood? And that's the end of the song. Oh. So, like, oh. he brings back the Norwegian wood line. Interesting. In kind of an artsy way. Wow. Yeah. So, on a side, as a sidebar, was he, well, he was married, right? He was, time. yeah. What was that? What was happening in his marriage at the time? A uh, lot of adultery. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, yeah. He definitely, uh, well, there's one song later that you can probably already tell, uh, definitely signifies he's probably not a nice person to be in a relationship with. Mm. Unless your name is Yoko Ono. It seems like he was pretty, pretty, 
keen on her. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. What was her singing voice, clearly? <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, Norwegian Wood. This was a hugely influential song. This was like, it, I don't think it, it's not a mistake that it was put second in the album because it was such a statement piece. And no, like, I think probably most people in the world, in the Western world, had never heard a sitar at this point. How, like, there's no reason they would have. So to hear this up front on this album was like kind of huge. And that wasn't like a guest player on that, right? It was, it was probably, George. It was George. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he went to India, was really, really influenced by it, and um, it was really pr- had a profound impact on him. So he brought one back and learned how to play it, and yeah, he would play it on a, a whole bunch of songs. Very cool. As we go on, not yeah. to spoil anything. Okay. <laughs> I, I took a Beatles class in college, in music school, and one of the things... One of the things we did was we we analyzed the different Beatles songs as if they were like a jazz or classical composition. And so I had this song for the, like I was kind of assigned this song or I picked it, I think. Okay. But one of the things that I thought was really cool, like pay attention, it, it it's a John song, but I kind of feel like Paul probably wrote the B section. Okay. Because of how much it changes. Uh, it's all like a drone. Well, just listen. Paul's trying to make it like... Dun, boom. He's trying to add harmonic movement to it, but like, it's still drony, you know? Mm-hmm. It's all just one chord. And then I'm like, this is probably Paul. Right here? Like, yeah, going into the different chord changes, and then a little modulation. And the harmony. And I like that it's like slightly out of tune, too. Like, yeah. I mean,. I love that stuff. Yeah, John is, he's such a great guitar player. George is the lead player, and that's what he's known for, but like so many of their kind of most notable, the like the I Feel Fine one that we listened to a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. like usually if it's a guitar part, that you're like, yeah, that's yeah. probably John. He was like, he was the James Hetfield. Of, of the, the Beatles? Band, of the okay, Beatles. I yeah. get that. Yeah, I yeah. can get that. <laughs> All right, so You Won't See Me is the next track mm-hmm. on here. Okay, so You Won't See Me, my only... Takeaway from that one was I was feeling like these guys have moved into an area where they're starting to experiment with overdubs a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so to that point... Among was, other things. Well, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Because <laughs> right, right. actually, I, okay. I think it's like track five or six. I don't yeah. remember. I'm like, oh, <laughs> experimentation. Consciousness expanded. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering at this point, are they have they pulled back from playing live because of like they stopped playing live at some point in time? Are they still yeah. playing live or is or is this This is the transition point. Okay. Yeah. Right. So this is the uh the reason this one sounds so different is because I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think it didn't happen at once. Or I, it did happen at once. It didn't happen one than the other. So I think what happened was they had kind of killed themselves touring over the last two years. And then at this point, they really started to really dig in. Like, clearly, they took the recording of this album way more kind of seriously mm-hmm. than the last couple. And that made them love the studio more. And it also made them reflect on how the, the live stuff was just a complete cluster. <laughs> like, live, the, the PAs just literally couldn't overcome the screaming. Can you imagine? Security. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. It was nuts. And so I think at this point that they were, they, I think the experience of this album was one of the things that made them say, hey, well, the, the concerts just aren't working for us. Like, the technology just hadn't caught up with them yet. So they're, they're like, well, what if we just did this? This was a great experience, which I, as someone who's basically done that same thing in my career, uh, sure. I, I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. 
uh, Paul dated uh, this this lady named Jane Asher, who was a famous actress in England. She so her brother uh, he knew James Taylor. That was kind of that inter- That's how they kind of got introduced. Like James Taylor got in with the Beatles. The, I believe this song is about his experience with her. She was very busy, and so uh, when I called you up, your lines engaged. I've had enough. Blah blah blah. Act your age. This kind of he was clearly like he couldn't get a hold of her, and he's probably thinking, "Hey, I'm Paul McCartney." <laughs> well, that was <laughs> you know, one like, theme yeah. on this album that like kept on like I feel like I, I kept on receiving was that like. These chicks are gangsters, total gangsters, because they're like blowing off the Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah. I was like, "Yeah, you yeah. go, girls." <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, don't get don't don't stand for that. Yeah, just because he's a Beatle. Right. Yeah, uh, that's you can tell. I mean, I think it feels like they were all. I mean, other than maybe Ringo, because we can't really tell because he didn't really write a lot of lyrics. But yeah, it seems like they were all going through these kind of things. They were probably. I think they were all having a lot of relationships. You know, John was the only one who was married, but that marriage had kind of. It was clearly like his his heart wasn't in it, and he was off touring the world. It's a really sad story, his wife Cynthia. But they got married when they were really young, and then immediately after that, all this it hit. blew up. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That would be hard. Seriously, it's, especially when there's no cell phones or internet. Yeah, there's not. they didn't have all the ways to be constantly connected like we do now, mm-hmm. which yeah. probably He's had in- its pros, too. But, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that would have been harder to uh-huh. maintain like a long distance situation. Super yeah. long distance too. They'd be in yeah. like New Zealand and Australia and America. Like wildly different time zone situation. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's what this this uh that song's about. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Me and my buddies used to play this song. You can find a lot of DNA, I think, that I kinda got from this one. Just with the harmonies. The, There's a lot of moving parts that are interesting mm-hmm. that are in the arrangement of this it one. It feels like more pop, pop oriented to yeah. me. Like, I'd say, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah. than yeah. the other ones. Yeah, yeah. Not that I'm calling you out as a pop guy here or something like that. Just, like, <laughs> just saying it feels pop. I'm, I'm. You like to hang in the major scale a little bit. I like to hang in yeah. the major scale. <laughs> I like some, I like some from some four major sevens. Yeah, baby. You know. All right. That was so stupid. <laughs> Yeah, but we're giving something to our musical nerds that are, like, <laughs> enjoying this podcast. Right, guys? Make sure you comment. Share. <laughs> All right. So Nowhere Man is the next track. Yeah. Love that tune. Oh, yes. so it. good. Yes. Yes. That's a Lennon tune, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I got that one yeah. right. So I think the thing that's, like, so cool about it is that um, they seem to straddle this, or Lennon seems to straddle this sort of, like, writing style that, like, is part ambiguous, but part like relatable. Like he's inc- mm. including lyrical content. Interesting. And people are going to be like, "Oh yeah, I relate to this." Yep. But then they're like, "What the hell is a nowhere man? Like, wh- what does that right. even mean?" Yeah. You know, like it makes you like, it, it's like there's this, uh, it's sort of an enigma. It's kind of mysterious, and it creates such a like sort of like a not a blank canvas. There's inferences there that's guiding like the listener, but it allows a lot of room for people to enter into the story of the song. Yeah. yeah. And he's writing about a character too, which I think is very cool too. I can't recall if there's been other songs on their in their catalog where they're writing about somebody else. Right. But not nearly as much as not this nearly one. as much as yeah. this one. And so I mean you can see that transcend through music. I mean yeah. you have a song that you've written about somebody else, a character 
I released a song not too long ago that you produced about somebody, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like something that's in music where you're writing and singing yeah. about other people, but this seems to really cast the die for it a little bit. And uh, it's not a new concept either. Like this is a really, a lot of these old, really old like folk songs too, like mm -hmm. are about these 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 old these characters right and that's how they told their stories really they weren't i think the further you you, you go back time wise the less biographical songs mm -hmm. were and i think that's interesting like hit, john's songs are so much more biographical or i should say personal than paul's are paul's are very kind of about love and if they are about something else they're about something very whimsical and and over here mm -hmm. whereas john like you're saying like it can be very vague and abstract but there, you feel like that's happening to him. He's like telling his his own like self is definitely in each of his stories. Sure, yeah. So you you seem like you love this song too. Like. Yeah, well, it, it it just kind of that song is a journey because it's like you, you know, you're thinking about nowhere, man, <laughs> and yeah. then you're like, what does he mean? What does it mean? Because yeah. you know, I I tend to be as a writer, I'm. Like I don't think there will ever be, there will ever be like a song meanings dot com page for me because it's like you get it you know yeah. and like, yeah. it's like <laughs> there's not a lot of metaphors and not even that this song has it but it's like you're on the ride who is Miss Nowhere Man and then he just it's it's a journey and it's like doesn't isn't there a line about it's like you and me right is there something yeah, isn't he a bit like yeah. you and me yeah and I think that that I loved that yeah because it's not. Even though I write direct, like Nashville, you know, the style wise, it's really cool to be on that journey where you have to like, it's up to interpretation. And yeah. I, I really enjoyed that about, about yeah. the song. And I, you know, you feel yourself in it, even if it's like, it is a little vague yeah. and you can't, I'm having trouble articulating why. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. It's like, yeah, I feel that. And yeah. it's a journey. Well, we were talking about in the last episode, and, and Joel could probably articulate this better, we were talking about yesterday, but just how there's like these moments in music, especially in the Beatles catalog, it seems like you can't quite put your finger on why you are resonating with <laughs> what is coming out, but there's something intrinsically in yeah. the song, whether it's cosmic, divine, subconscious, like we have no idea, but there's just something. And this feels yeah. like one of those tunes a can, little bit. Can I make, I feel like... If this feels way too high-minded, but this is the we're making a podcast about the Beatles, so screw it. Um, I feel it's a little bit like Beethoven mm. versus all the stuff that came before him. Beethoven's thing was uh, before him was like Bach and Mozart. All those, uh, all that music before him was kind of it was in the church. It was about God. It was for masses. It was it was, it was all this kind of ritualistic kind of, or it was for these experiences, or it was written for specific people, or it was written about specific people, or it was like. Yeah, they, they were, you know, they would commission works. So, like, there wasn't this self-expression, and that was one of the things I think that really turned the page that made Beethoven who he was, was that he put himself, and he had a lot of intense personal suffering in his own life, and he put that into his compositions mm -hmm. in a way that no one really had before, and you could tell. You could tell, and that's why his music has so much kind of pathos, like it's so much feeling in it. And I feel like the Beatles, and I, I would say probably the people around them too, like Bob Dylan at this point, like, this was another ch changing of that page because we've talked about how like before this Buddy Holly, Bill Haley, Chuck Berry, the songs were about, you know, Beach Boys, like it was about rock and roll, girls, cars, uh, falling in love, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like all the songs are about that. And now we have he's a real nowhere man sitting in his nowhere land making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Hmm. Like that's not 
that's not one o'clock, two o'clock, two o'clock. <laughs> you know, like, that's not, we, we've, tur- we've turned the page. Yeah, we have. You know, to some, oh, like you said, like it's so, it's so vague and you can see so much of yourself in it. And I think at this point, one of the things, they were starting to be influenced by hallucinogenic drugs, but also by reading. <laughs> Uh, they were really expanding their minds a lot at this point. I think they had gotten to this point where they're the most famous people in the world, and they're like, well, where do we go from here? We want to become smarter. We want to become more learned. We want to like become more experienced. And to that point, that, that lends itself to what you said on the very first episode and, set, and have said a few times. This band was like the perfect mm. storm, yeah. essentially, like, like yeah, right yeah. place, right time. Yes. people ready for it, right? So they're like, I'm sure when people heard this song, there was like a desire for something more. with more depth, yes. you know? And Absolutely. then they hit, and they were just like, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine hearing this for the first time. My dad talks about hearing uh, Good Times, Bad Times for the first time when it came out by, by, by Zeppelin. Okay. And like, and how much that just kind of blew his mind. And I, I wish I could be, I wish I could have been there in 65 to hear this Song. I mean, this whole album, because Norwegian well, Wood probably would have been as mind-blowing. You we know? have a, and I don't say it's tongue-in-cheek, but we have a kind of a reference in that. When, first time we listened to Autonomy by Stephanie Lambert. Oh, that is absolutely true. <laughs> it's kind of true, actually. Our lives were changed. I, in, in all honesty, it is pretty true. So I'd recommend not, it, not, 10 out of 10. We're not, we're not, oh, thank we're you. not being goofballs. We're being, no, no, for real. For real. Um, yeah, I think that this, this song really is, it's super philosophical. It's saying... I mean, there's so much empathy in it, and they're definitely starting to lean towards kind of an Eastern religion kind of thing where they're saying, like, he's a real nowhere man. He he doesn't have an identity. It's this dest- destruction of the ego and this uh, being open to everything and open to different experiences and and letting go of your identity. Like, that's all. It's very Buddhist. Like, they're, they're kind of slipping into that. They're starting to, like, look at their lives in that way. And I think the song is a great—it's so simple. The words are repetitive and simple, but— they really do mean something, mm-hmm. but they can also mean anything. And yeah. that's, the, that's the, the coolest thing. Like, that's the best kind of song. That's the genius in it. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I remember hearing this song when I was 12 years old and thinking, like, oh, that's me. Like, I can relate to that. Like, wow. I feel like I'm a nowhere man. <laughs> yeah, because I think it can take on different meanings yeah. throughout your life. You know, at, at 12, you, I, it's a, I mean, middle school feelings are... Yeah. That's a thing. Heavy, sure. <laughs> For sure. Maybe the heaviest. Yeah. That might be true. There's some kind of interesting guitar stuff from George. It's the first time that he used a Stratocaster. And it is mm-hmm. a very different tone. You can hear he, he does this kind of very plucky, overdriven guitar part, uh, kind of guitar solo in it. But it sounds really different. Everything they had done so far was either very twangy, like a Telecaster, or the Rickenbacker Rick he was using. Yeah, sure. Or it was like much more smooth, like a jazz guitar like a Gibson or something. And so hmm. this was the first time. He wouldn't use a ton of these of Stratocasters, but it really does stand out if you kind of know what the Beatles sounded like. This strikes you as kind of a weird guitar choice because it sounds like a little more like American. It sounds just a little, like a, the sound palette is just a little bit off. All right, think for yourself. Think for yourself. Let me see. Okay, this is, in listening to this album, this is the first time that I accepted. Like, even though Norwegian Wood was very throwing down the gauntlet felt like in terms of creativity i felt like by the time i got to think for yourself i was like feeling like i was accepting mm. that the beatles are reinventing themselves and that this is a defining album for them going forward and there's like no turning back basically yeah. at that point yeah 
Um, I don't know why it was the harmony approach on this tune that like drew that out of me, but What's the harmonies were different. Yeah. yeah. The rhythm of that too. Mm-hmm. Kind of a weird electric guitar part too. <laughs> really fuzzy. But then when I started hearing, you know those old videos where they have like the twirly things in the background and the ladies are like yeah. going like this? <laughs> That's yeah. like all I could see. My, like I wonder if they Mod. did a video it's of kind this. kind of 60s, yeah. Right. It's cool. Yeah. The Yeah, the, those, har- those, I want to hear those harmonies. Yeah, that, oh. to me, that's like the, that's that thing with just the three of them and it's like this magical. So tight. And this is like Golly. four years before Crosby, Sills, and Nash started too. So they were like, I don't want to say they aped what the Beatles did, but I feel like they had a they have a really good grasp on like maybe the kind of the they were a front runner in that kind of '60s harmonies before the Mamas and the Papas and mm. all those other guys. Yeah, man, it's a, it's its whole it's an entire instrument. Yeah, their harmonies. Yes. Yeah, it's not it's not like a vocal, uh-uh. and it's not like yeah an instrument. It's its own thing. It's like. Its own arrangement piece. Yeah, exactly. It's its own entity. And so I'm, Uh I love a good harmony thing. And man, I mean, all over this record. I don't think, here's the crazy thing. I don't think there were any overdubs there. Really? Um, I think that's just the three of them. And I think, because when we we watched uh, a performance of Help last episode there's this youtube performance and it's basically the incredible thing about it is that you realize that they're they're doing everything on the album live there's nothing missing there's no overdubs and when the three of them sing two of them are singing into one mic and like it sounds like the album it's this super you know so they they may have double tracked it i don't know it sounds so like lush and amazing so i feel like maybe feels like they had to but it may have just been them i don't know i'm sure we could find out but yeah it's, it's just, kind it of mind-blowing, really. Can't move on without saying that this is a George song. Okay. That's right. Written and sung. And George is starting to... He he has two songs on this album. I won't tell you what the other one is yet. Okay. Uh, but he's... George... Stephanie has been here for my my love affair with George. He's... <laughs> He's my favorite post-Beatle, Beatle for sure, of all okay. of them, his stuff after. What does that mean? Oh, like like, like the music? Yes, like Wasn't after. Wasn't he in a Traveling Wilburys, or that yeah. band? Okay. Yeah, That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I know. Golly. But he, like, I think that the you can look at the Beatles as the origin story of George Harrison. It's You can see him learning his kind of craft, and at the very end of the Beatles is where he kind of, like, bursts out into the world as his own thing and I th- you're starting we're starting to see it here I think he's starting to really because you can't tell in the other albums you, I think you can kind of tell right he's well we said in the last songs. episode he's like less developed you can tell he's like yeah. he's not bringing the same mm-hmm. same thing to the table that John yeah. and Paul are but now it's like song number five doesn't feel weird and that's actually kind of a essentially I mean it's like it's stock is rising if he's getting the fifth track on the album right yeah like, they're like okay we feel like this is strong enough of a song to put it on the front side I'm so of proud of him. I'm so proud of <laughs> he's him. growing up so fast isn't he <laughs> yeah he's the baby too he was the youngest <laughs> all right so the next tune is the word mm. okay so the word the only thing I took away from this song was like oh boy 
these guys are hitting the drugs now. Like, they're hippies. They're hitting the drugs. Uh-huh. So like, this is a hippie song. That yeah. was like, I was like, okay, they've moved on from the pot and they've moved on from the alcohol. They're yeah, they're moving into the hallucinogenics, I think, and the psychedelic. It could and stuff. be. That's interesting that you would think of that on this song. I would think of it on a couple other ones before this. Really? Yeah. Well, crank it for a second. And- you know what I think it is? Like, and I'm just gonna like bare my soul here. Yeah. I think I think I've been in enough like pot deals when I was younger, <laughs> like that <laughs> yeah. sitting in a room and the dude is prepping the pot. And this is the song is gonna crank. Like he's gonna put this on, he's gonna throw it on a triple beam. Speaking of and Tarantino he's prepping movies. the pot. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I ever thought I'd hear you say that. Oh, my gosh. Hey, I have a history, all right? <laughs> I'm just letting it go here. Isn't that shaker? Yeah. That's hot. It's a hot shaker. I do like that song. Yeah. Hey, if I can bring our attention back to this one for one second, I just remembered something. Listen to the bass guitar on the song. Oh, yeah, it's like kind of like a song within a song kind of oh, thing, isn't yeah. it? It's super busy. Yeah. But that's like one of those things like you don't, unless you're like your ears so tuned to production, Yeah. you don't notice it. I think, I mean, but, he's really good. I think that's one of the things. You right. don't notice it. But you feel it, right? Isn't that like the beauty of production? Like, yeah. yeah. Like you got to, like it's just something that just... Kind of let your ear know, like there's something happening oh, wow. right now, right? Yeah. Well, I just noticed, like, the vocals went up and it's going down. Like, that's mm. really. Yeah. Straightens out here. And actually, to that point, how much did um, George Martin influence this type of production? Was were these guys like kind of now like we've surpassed your influence? Or? A little bit, yeah. Okay. So part of the story behind this album is this was them kind of breaking apart from him a little bit. They, I think they had really been looking to him as a real mentor, as a producer, to be like, tell us what to do, tell us what to play. And this one, they, they started to like have their own ideas about arrangements. Um, although, spoiler alert, not spoiler alert, uh, uh, foreshadowing, uh, he appears on this album in one of the most maybe garish ways possible, uh, which we'll get to in a, in a little bit. Okay. But he, he does appear in a very audible way on this album, maybe more than ever before. Um, a fun thing about this, I was thinking about that bass. Uh, Paul just got his new Rickenbacker bass. He's, he'd been playing that Hofner, the violin bass that he's like famous for. You know, you, you can picture him with it. But uh, it, it was a lot more kind of precise and smooth. He could play a lot better. And so I think his, some of the some that, that people have said is that he, you can kind of hear him really playing around with it on this album. And I feel like, I just think it's so funny that that song, there's just so much going on. Like he's happy about his new instrument. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. He's sitting he's over like there in the corner just having a good time. Rocking it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. Michelle. Michelle. Okay. This is going to be a dumb thing, but like my only takeaway from this song was how basically how maybe. Other songwriters or artists sometimes need to borrow from the past a little bit or mm-hmm. like find inspiration in something, right? So Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses has an New You're Going There. I my Michelle, you knew it, right? There. Okay, because he actually says my Michelle in the lyrics. Oh, I didn't even, uh, I, I, so I was, I was wondering, I was like, okay, 
well, maybe well, well, Axel, my Michelle. right? Yeah, lifted or lifted some inspiration, even though there was a Michelle. Mm-hmm. I think maybe. Um, but also, been. my other thing was like, okay, so somebody's singing French in the song. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool. They're yeah. not caring that Mm-mm. people aren't going to understand what he's singing, but he's just going to do it anyway. Yeah. And then um, I was intrigued by who is this Michelle? Like there's like I said before, yeah. these gangster ladies that keep on showing up on this <laughs> album. Some French lady who, who is like hot enough for the language barrier to not be a thing. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Like what's the history here? I want to know. Uh, yeah. How about you, Steph? Did you take anything away from this tuners? I mean, pretty much that. <laughs> okay. <All right. laughs> well, I mean, it was it was just like um again, this is one of those songs that I'd heard but never really thought much about. One my best friend in high school was named Michelle. And so I remember her singing okay. yeah. Michelle, my belt, you know, and then I was like, Okay, filed that in there, and then whenever I looked at the lyrics, I was like, "Oh, this is in French." Partially, <laughs> I think. I think it's French. I'm not sure. <laughs> so I had yeah. a couple questions anyway, but um, yeah, I think I got. I it it was just like, oh yeah, there's a little language barrier and a romance blooming, and but they, you know, he's trying to figure out. He's like, I do know this, like, and he's you know communicate yeah. communicating in the way he knows how. Yeah, um, that's really yeah. I think it's a great little story mm-hmm. in that where he's it's like this idea of this he can he's saying I can't uh I can't say anything to you but I will I will say to you the only words that you'll understand and those words are just what he said in English uh uh that's what I was these, wondering like uh, these are words that go together well son les mon qui vont toi bien ensemble means which means what these are words that go together well oh. okay <laughs> you answered my question I was yeah. like is what he says in English what he's saying. Yeah. But ma belle means my beautiful. And okay. so he's saying, I think he's saying, so he's saying, Michelle, my beautiful, these are words that go together well, my Michelle. Michelle, ma belle, my beautiful, these are words that go together well, but okay. in French this time. Okay. Um, oh. And then I love you, I love you, I love you. That's all I want to say um, until I find a way. I will say the only words I know that you'll understand, which is an amazing That's kind line. of sweet. I will yeah. say the only words I know that you'll understand. Yeah. I uh. will say the only words I know that you'll understand, my Michelle. Huh. Like, it's a really romantic uh, idea. It I is. Yeah. Gosh. It's kind of a beautiful love story. Side note, kind of on a personal thing, my brother dated a girl from Paris, right? Okay. And it was like a hard thing, like the language barrier. But you have to make like your, I guess, make your words count in those situations. I guess so. And yeah. one of the things that he tried to make count that she didn't understand was <laughs> playing Black Sabbath for her, and she was like, "I don't get this." Play techno. She was like, "No, <laughs> yeah, no." That's exactly what happened. He was like, "Man, I don't know what to do." <laughs> He's like, "If Sabbath she doesn't work, she I'm hip all to out paranoid." Of- I was like, "Brother." Jump the ship. He's like, I played my whole hand. There's nothing left. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's great. She once broke up with a girl because she didn't see the Goonies. Like, my brother's, he's as he's much a gangster. He's much a savage as these women on this album. I know. That's oh my gosh. That's amazing. Golly. Yeah. He has wow. like a fan club. Like, I got to shout out my brother. Like, he just has a the fan The women club. he's dated? Well, well, I mean, he doesn't. He's selective. He's very selective. But uh-huh. like, I'll get notes like random people. Your brother 
is beautiful. I'm like, I know when he arrived, he was like, we thought he was a gift from God. Like, yeah. like, like he was glowing, in glorified state. I mean, that's that's my bro. This is amazing. Love you, Aaron. Yep. Uh, side note on this, uh, I love the guitar, the kind of the very warm, jazzy guitar solo on this when I was a kid. Um, I didn't, I wasn't like hip to jazz guitar yet so mm. this was my like introduction to that but i loved that it kind of goes from like major to minor and back to major again mm-hmm. and like and i just it was one of the first times i heard that and this was like a big deal this song was for me like personally musically in that way so i remember at some point in high school we played this song and i remember learning the uh that guitar part and it was a big deal but i, lo- I love the i still love the um it's very it's it's not super complicated but it's it just it, it kind of goes in and out of the different keys in like kind of this mm. beautiful way that's cool what goes on what goes on okay what goes on this is a ringo track right mm-hmm. oh, i nailed it okay so I feel like now, like Ringo is the commercial break in the middle of the album. Yeah. <laughs> like literally the last album, they're like, okay. Act naturally. You're up. Yeah. Ringo, sing They're a... going to put me in the movies. Right. It's yeah. like, like here's your country. Yeah, it's country. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. Right. And I was telling Joel <laughs> on the last episode that like, it's cool that they did it and they knew how to do it, but they didn't do it great. Right? right, but it gives like this commercial break to everything else that's going on mm-hmm. because it feels like you could kind of get some ear fatigue. So they give Ringo an opportunity to do this country thing, yep. and then when the next thing comes in, you're back tuned in. You're like, okay, like this kind. This isn't too standard of the rest of the stuff, but we need to throw him a bone and give him an opportunity. And we're <laughs> right. gonna do that. And he likes to sing country, apparently. So we're gonna record that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess so. Ringo, you're up, and then the next thing is like. Like this feels yeah. strategic, actually. It really sure. does. Like, I get that. I like, mean, like, like we want you to long for the next song because it's like halfway good, but yeah. it's not great. So let's let it suck a little bit, and then when the next song comes in, <laughs> here's the like, thing. Let's crush it. I agree it. about act naturally. I think this song kind of kicks. I think this is kind of here. Let's listen. I feel like this is pretty good. Um, all things considered. <laughs> <laughs> And it's the harmonies that make it. For some reason, this song gets stuck in my head a lot, too. Does it? Starting with the chorus like this. Baller move. Yeah. Clearly, these are not Nashville players, okay? No. This is the Beatles we're talking (laughs) about. There's a heavy, there's a heavy UK influence on this, yeah. but um, I do when the harmonies kick in, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm there for it. Yeah, it's I cool. Like it. It's cool. I mean, I appreciate. It. I mean, again, it's like one of those things. It feels like a trope a little bit. Like, yeah, we yeah. Wanna, you know, give do something a little bit different. Give it a little bit. And of you're color. right. Like they're they've gone back to back albums now with like a country song from Ringo, which is interesting. Right. Very specific. So uh, we know that Ringo <laughs> likes to take photos, shoot. Rocks with kids into uh-huh. the river. Yeah, he likes to go off by himself music. and sing country music. He contributed <laughs> to the lyrics, or at least this is the first appearance of a Ringo uh, songwriter share oh. in their discography. This one was written, I don't know if this ever happened again. This was Paul and John and Ringo are credited for this song. 
So he's never credited again for any other song? Oh, no, he is. Oh. Uh, f- by himself, though. Oh. He's written some other ones that, that just just him. They're like, we're sorry, Ringo. <laughs> you blew I'm your sorry, chance. <laughs> you remember what goes on? We're not letting you do that again. Yes. <laughs> so on that note, tell me how they... It's interesting to me to learn how they credited certain songs. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. it's my understanding that if Paul McCartney wrote a song... It was Lyndon McCartney. Mm-hmm. If John Lennon wrote a song, it was Lyndon McCartney. Yeah. Um, and it's just interesting to me. Like, how did Ringo get a share? Did he bring a song and they were there? I don't know. Yeah. I wonder if, yeah, I don't know. I feel like, from what I could tell, this is a John song. I, I remember I was reading about the album and I, I I remember something like this. This was a John song that they had played a long time ago. I don't think Ringo sang it. And I think what happened was they revisited it for this album and they tweaked it. And I think that maybe the tweak came from Ringo. Okay. And maybe that's what happened. That makes that makes sense. It, uh, I've watched, I've only watched a little bit of the documentary mm-hmm. that's out now. and Get it's, Back. It's, yeah, Get Back. And it's interesting to me just like knowing how songwriting is credited in Nashville. Right. It's like if you're in the room, you get an equal portion. Right. And so many songs, I mean, just from the limited amount that I've watched, were written with everybody. It, right. It looks like it, they were written yes. while everyone was mm. in the room. And then in my mindset, I'm like, why isn't everyone getting a credit? Getting a credit. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. John and Paul clearly had an arrangement that was like, whatever we write, it'll be the two of us. Mm-hmm. And which I get, I've done that in bands where it's like whatever, even if you're not in the room, like we're going to split whatever share that writer has um, as a way of just kind of all having equity in the thing. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's what I'm, I'm sure that this happened. I'm sure that this happened later with I'm sure that there was some tension with George because George, his his stuff isn't like that. Like his stuff, he had to kind of bring his own songs and sing his own songs even though his own songs became, he would do something, he would do um, Here Comes the Sun, like, you know, he, he would do these massive songs, but they were all him. So I don't know quite what the deal is with Ringo. I, I wonder if it's that, I, I'm speculating here, but again, having seen that documentary too and kind of seeing how they work together, it feels like they knew that Ringo wasn't going to be like a prolific songwriter. And so if they gave him a song on an album or if they gave him like part of a song like this one, I wonder if they were kind of doing that out of goodwill and saying like, hey, Ringo never gets one. Let's let's cut him in on this one. Whereas with George, they kind of knew that he had his own stuff mm-hmm. and that he was going to do his own thing and he was good enough to like get cuts on his own. But I don't know. Yeah, it seems like they definitely were, they did not want to split everything four right. ways or even three ways. Most of the time. I can't remember seeing like this another time. Ringo cares that much, though. It seems like Mm-mm. like my feeling about Ringo is that he just was along for the ride. Like, he enjoyed it mm-hmm. for what it was. Like, yeah. Like, you see that in the movie. He seems to have a healthy detachment more he than does. anyone else. Yeah. He, in Hard Day's Night and in Get Back and in any other, like, way I see him, he seems pretty, like, he's pretty emotionally, like, balanced dude. Regardless of what the rest of them are doing, he's just like, yeah, I'm in the biggest band in the world. Cool. No, I don't need to write any songs. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I'm good. I'll just be back here. And he stayed on good terms with everybody pretty much, right? Or yeah. He, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially in that documentary, you see him 
you know, George leaves and John and Paul are, are at each other a little bit. And Ringo's just sitting there on the drums the whole time, just like, yeah, when do you want me to start? Okay, cool. He's a little bit older, you said, right? I think. He's the oldest, yeah. Okay. But only by like maybe a year and a half. Oh, not that much. Yeah. Yeah. But at this point, they're in their early 20s still. So a year and a half is That can make nothing, a difference. You know? That's yeah. crazy to think about this music that they were doing in like an early 20s. I can't Yeah, even this is goodness. like changing the game stuff. Gracious. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Billie Eilish. Yeah. She's like 16 when she started changing wow. the game in her own way. So. Wow. How about that? What are you going to do? Just, f- Just all, all feel ba- all feel bad about ourselves and move on. Great. All right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Girl. Girl. Okay. Girl. Going to throw this back. We I said it in the last episode. I'm going to say it again. Yeah. This is one of Jack White's favorite songs. Clearly, because uh-huh. like, I mean, between the like the chorus breaking the rules, you know, where they're like, girl. <laughs> or whatever it is, right? <laughs> I'm like, this breaks all the chorus rules. Uh, I believe rules, the right? lyric you're looking for is... Oh, is yes. that what it is? Yeah. It was okay. an inhale, yeah. right? Oh, through the nose. Okay. Yeah. And, yes. Yes. Not a yeah. mouth breathing. Yeah, like, what is that would be a little doing? weird. Like, he's like, you smell good? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's supposed to be kind of sensual, you know? I think okay. it's supposed to be like, like wistful damn, maybe. Right? You know? Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. I think so. All right. How, okay. did, you, how did it hit you? Um, and as interesting, yeah, <laughs> yeah, as a choice, it hit me as a choice. Yeah, it has character, but I mean, it feels right. I will say that it's just it's yeah. uh, not something I would ever think to do, right. you know. But I I read the lyrics separately from listening, mm-hmm. and and I mean, I listened, and then as I talked about earlier, like yeah. I have to see lyrics to like put it together. Right. And then when I read lyrics. It's so interesting how that how it falls when you just mm. read the lyrics or like I remember reading specifically the yeah. lyrics for this and I thought, well, that's odd. Like, you know, I don't remember that moment in my listening yeah. through and it is so much more powerful when it's mm. combined with the production and the, yeah. the the melodies and the harmonies and I mean, everything that goes into mm-hmm. it. So, I mean, I guess that's like I do remember thinking of that about this song, like reading the lyrics after listening to it, you know, one time through and and then like listening to it again on my way down here today, I was like, gosh, that makes sense here. But it's like not anything yeah. I would ever, if you read it, it doesn't make sense. But if you listen to it, it does. Yeah. Wow. I know what you mean. It it feels, <laughs> I think this is peak John, this, this song. I think this is as John Lennon as it gets. And again, like I, I keep saying that I like George's stuff after the Beatles better than the other stuff. Like I think John's stuff is kind of the least like if you listen to John's solo stuff, he has the song Imagine, he has the song Give Me Some Truth, and then he has a bunch of like super simple rock and roll numbers that are like super literal and aren't very like to me aren't very compelling or fun to listen to. Huh. Um so I don't know what happened to him later, but it's really interesting to see. I feel like this is his entire life. I think he's peaking as a songwriter right here. I think this, and then there's going to be some stuff with like the White Album and as, as as we go on. But like this kind of song, I, I'm like, this is him. This is everything about him at his best because he does that thing you're talking about so well. Where it's like, if you read the lyrics, it means one thing, and if you hear it, he has this way. He 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 like chops up measures. Like, as he goes on, he does more, like, there's a measure of two here, and then there's a measure of five here. And then, like, he does stuff like that that kind of, like, across the universe, which we'll get to. Like, there's just some really interesting choices that he makes 
that really fit the lyrics in an interesting way that I would never do. Most of the times I'm like, I would never do that. But he does it, and he just pulls it off beautifully. And he has this thing about marrying his lyrics with his music in this way that makes it just elevates. It's insane. It. it really is. Yeah, let's, let's yeah. check this one out. They're so different. The verses of this one I think are incredible. They're, they're so different than that chorus with the inhale. <laughs> Through the nose. <laughs> Not double tracked here. It's very intimate. Yeah, just that that verse is like it's beautiful. These kind of the minor chord progression, everything. Yeah. It's really nice. It's cool. That's yeah. sort of like stuff that like an avant-garde like music fan mm. would love. They would just pick that. Chorus I'm glad like, you said that yeah. because the great another thing I kind of picked up from reading about this album is that John Cale and Lou Reed credit this album with starting Velvet Underground. Wow. They said that this was one of their big influences. This one, they heard this album and they were like, oh, we could do something like that. That's cool. And made them want to do it. Yeah. Can you imagine like this band to be that commercially successful? Right. But, yeah. And that relatable or accessible or whatever you want to call it, but they are influencing some of the most interesting, creative music to emerge that, that sets a trajectory for alternative and indie music going forward. This is how expansive and influential yeah. this band is, that they didn't just influence pop culture. They influence all aspects of music. That is unheard of. Mm -hmm. I think Sgt. Pepper's gets kind of credited as the big shift, and in many ways it is because that's when they started to become incredibly, their studio stuff just became so complex and, and layered. But this one is the biggest, I think, departure because all the stuff that we've been listening to mm -hmm. until this point, it's basically been like their live shows. Right. And they've been picking songs and they've been writing singles that are really good. But then they've been like their albums are very padded with their with their live stuff, stuff that they've been playing for years. And this is the a big shift between that and then approaching this as an album. They're clear this is intentionally there's a vibe to this thing. All the other ones, there's no vibe. There's it's no a collection of songs. There's no Dizzy Miss Lizzie on this <laughs> album, bro. No. The last song on the last album, or on okay. two albums ago. Which was, I almost jumped out of my car when I was listening to it. I was like, this the is probably the worst Beatles song. Okay. Yeah. Dizzy, and, I'm going to listen to that on my way yeah, out. Yeah, do it. Yeah. yeah the okay. worst part about it is, that, I mean, just to throw it back, I mean, Yesterday is a song right before, which is a, one of the most <laughs> gr great, prolific, beautiful songs. And then it's like, Dizzy Miss Lizzie. And I was like, no. It's one, it's <laughs> no, like one guitar lick. Yeah. Hard Stop an entire right song. now. <laughs> like, can you just cut this <laughs> just out? Just stop yeah. this. Oh my god. Nonsense. Yeah, there's none of that here. Uh, That's funny. My boy, so my boyfriend is a huge, Ian. You know this is yeah, an encyclopedia for music. Yeah. Hey Josh. And, hey Josh. Hey Josh. And, I don't know you. Um, <laughs> you guys. I mean, I bet y'all could talk for hours. I'd love to meet him. He was saying. That this album was, that's what he was telling me earlier today. He mm, was like, yeah. this album marked like where they really risked and made a statement sonically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so it's cool to hear you yeah. affirming that. Yeah. He also like this stayed, I wrote, I haven't been keeping track of chart positions in the last few, but this spent eight weeks at number one in the UK and six weeks in the US at, as the number one album in the world basically for a period like the fact that they would do something this different and experimental and it would still be as widespread as it was mm. it's pretty nuts it is amazing i mean i feel like they they grab both you know there is like an accessibility to it but there's also yeah experimentation sort of like like okay computer by yeah. radiohead mm. masterpiece right mm -hmm. yeah 
accessible but entirely experimental. Again, they're casting the die for future stuff. Mm-hmm. Now I want to talk about Radiohead. Golly. Dang it. I've said golly like five times. I'm, I'm a New Yorker saying golly. What has <laughs> happened to me? Somebody crank run the jewels. I, get me going here. I just, <laughs> gladly. Uh, do you have anything about I'm looking through you? This is, I, do. I feel like a... Actually, yeah. in fact, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm dovetailing rap a little bit here. Um, Great. You know how much of a rap fan I am. East Coast rap. I got to... Get that in there. Distinguish that. Are uh-huh. you for real? Totally you really are? Okay. I'm a huge East okay. Coast rap fan. Okay. Totally. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. You're learning things about me today. I don't today, even know like, what that means. Right, pop really. deals. Right. Like, like, pop, pop quiz. Pop, East Coast. Pop preparing or whatever you called <laughs> whatever it. Whatever I called pop that thing. Yeah. Yeah. But this is like the original diss track. Like, I was like, oh, this is yeah. a total diss track against somebody. I'm like, this is. I'm this looking is, through you. Where did yeah. you go? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm like, how cool. Like it these, is these guys like whoever was on the receiving end of this thing Ooh. knew exactly who they were, right? Yeah. We don't know who they were, but they knew. And so I'm like, wow, that's pretty um it's pretty bold, pretty gutsy. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. he got stung and wounded stung. a bit. Yeah. But he needed to process it and he and it was enough so much so that he was willing to throw a diss track down on that wax and I'm yeah, for it. and again, <laughs> it's not—it's not about girls. It's not about rock and roll. You know, it's not about these things. You know, we all grew up listening to to songs about everything, but at this point, that was a huge departure just for in the public consciousness. Like they—they they were used to songs about love, and that was it. It was right. old love songs and and church songs, and that was it. You had love or gospel. And that was those are your two options. Mm-hmm. And so then they come with this kind of thing. You know. I'm looking through you, and and yeah, like a diss track or the word. The word is love. Nowhere, man. All these these themes are like pretty far out. Far out. Yeah, yeah. As they'd say. I think just listening to this record, it made me feel glad that like the Beatles felt it too. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they're freaking human too. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of hurt. It reminds me a lot of. I had a lot of Taylor. I I Taylor Swifted before Taylor Swift was uh-huh. Taylor Swifting people. Yeah. So like, not that that's this, but I mean, kind of, you know, kind of a little bit, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's just reinforcing like we're all humans, and yeah. um, it's kind of cool to when you think of the Beatles. It, to me, it humanizes them. Yeah. When you actually dive into the lyrics, like, mm. oh my gosh, you felt you felt things. You weren't just an icon. Yeah. Yeah. Which. For for someone like me, like that's because it was my parents' music and not necessarily what I connected to as a kid. Even though I know a lot of people did, like it's mm. it's it was really interesting to connect with. I feel like diving in has made me connect with them more on a human yeah. level. Yeah, that's which is so the cool. whole point. Absolutely, you know. Wow, yeah, so yeah. cool. Like they're not insulated from regular human problems, right? Yeah. Like I remember hearing Billy Graham say one time, like, suffering is a universal language. It ties us all together. Sure. Like in humanity, that's part of the human experience. Mm. And so to hear them, these guys who seem like untouchable, lofty, like beyond like what you, you'd expect them to have this perfect life, to hear them sharing these types of things, it does make it like the every man's, every woman's, sort of music yeah wow yeah, it's so much more personal than the the stuff that it, even the stuff that we've been talking about it's so much guy girl stuff before this that's very um 
was conventional. It's very like, oh, I like you. Do you like me? Kind of thing. <laughs> or like, she loves you. Even is like, it's guy to guy, but it's talking about this girl. She said she loves you, and it's all, it's all. It could be about anybody, and it doesn't go too deep. But this stuff is really. Oh, this guy got hurt mm. in some way, or this guy has really deep seated insecurities, exactly. and they're he's he's just talking about them in a in a kind of a naked way. And what a honestly, this has been like kind of a beautiful experience for me to like. You're literally watching people mature in mm. real time looking at their catalog and listening to them you're like yeah. watching them go through life and you're hearing it transcend their music and what they're doing yeah what a cool thing you know absolutely yep all right in my life okay heavy hitter who this this track uh for me i think this is my favorite track on the album okay. i think um it's lennon right yep okay all right it felt it's like both Lennon. of them. It's both of them. I think it's John and Paul singing. If I if I had to remember. Okay. Well, it's like a, it's like a little sad and kind of lonely, you know. And very, um, very yeah, it's very melancholy. And to me, when I heard it, I was like, okay, hearing the previous stuff, like John had this charm and magnetism and like things that you were attracted to, and yeah. now you're seeing this part of John that's like, I I don't know, like that part is gone in some way like he's moved on from it because of life has done that to him right yeah. and so um i think it is my favorite song because it mm. feels like this like very obvious transition from the innocence of, of like young love right and has now moved into this area of like maturity yeah. and and adulthood yeah this is not about relationships this is about well this is about real relationships this is right. about family, like family and friends, friends yeah. and that kind of thing yeah and so um so yeah this one really hit me actually like yeah. one i would go back and listen to of course sure. yeah yeah this was our high school graduation song my no class no way mm -hmm. okay i sang it at graduation wow is there a video of that probably not i mean uh, maybe oh man <laughs> those videos yeah, Jesslyn <laughs> Thomas. If you're out there, she has a different last name now. But the two of us sang it. We were the we were the crooners of that class. I don't <laughs> have anything that tasteful. I like. <laughs> I lip synced for "Whom the Bell Tolls" by Metallica in fifth grade. At graduation? Like a, no, okay. not at graduation. No, oh, I was God. actually almost not allowed to graduate. That's amazing. Oh. Because I organized a walkout. Listen to this right here. There's. Ian. A, oh, sorry. <laughs> I can't believe I cut you all the time. Right, the hurdy-gurdy organ. I had that in my notes. It's like so cool. Okay, hold on. Okay. <laughs> there are a couple things I'm sorry. we need to okay, talk yeah. about. There's so I much think. stuff coming in hot I here. Know. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So okay. keep that, keep that, yeah, keep we'll the piano in thing that. in the yeah. back of your mind. Yeah. But we're going to go back. Okay. Yeah. We need to because, talk about this. Because I was so, <laughs> I was two steps ahead and <laughs> the second you stopped talking, you said, I almost didn't graduate because I had organized a walkout, and then you stopped talking. So just kind of keep talking. Okay, so there were these bomb threats that were coming into our high school. <laughs> so oh stupid, God. right? And I'm pretty sure I know who it was. I did. I never verified, but I'm pretty Name sure names. I know, Name I know names, which man. dude it was. Mike Valchek. Um, <laughs> but I don't know that for sure because he didn't include me in that, but I'm pretty sure it was him. Anyway, um, <laughs> so the principal of the high school refused to allow the fire department into the school and evacuate the kids. Somehow, some way, I think 
that the fire department got really upset about this. Uh-huh. They reported it to the news, and the news interviewed the principal of the high school and said, why aren't you letting kids out if there's a bomb, a bomb threat at the school? Well, long story this short. senior year? Yeah, senior late, late year. senior year? Senior year, so I needed something to like grab a hold of and like push back on and like start. <laughs> you needed a, a cause, quote unquote, revolution in this uh-huh. little Cohoes, New York. And so, <laughs> myself and two other guys, we were like, you know what? We're not going to stand for this. We we could have blown up, right? So we're like, we're organizing a walkout tomorrow, 10 a.m. Right? It's an idea. We're like throwing something at the wall. We don't think it's going to stick. Next thing we know, there's 400 people walking out of the school, and we're leading the charge. I get arrested. I get on the news. <laughs> my mom shows up, oh my like, God. totally out of her mind. It's so There's a YouTube video somebody sent to me. Actually, they posted it and tagged me in it because it was like the, I don't know how many year anniversary of it, and he posted it. He was another guy who almost <laughs> didn't graduate, and this I'm on awesome. there. And the best part about it is I'm sitting in the back of the cop car, uh-huh. like, just playing it cold. Like, not caring. My mom shows up (laughs) in the thing, and the newscaster says, Ian Zumbach's frantic mother showed up on the scene, (laughs) and she goes, where are you taking my son? It was... It was so funny. So that principal was so pissed off at us that, like, she pulled the three of us into the room. She said, listen, I'm not going to let you graduate. I'm going to make it my job this year that you don't walk that stage. Wow. And I was like, you try that, lady. And guess what? You graduated. I walked the stage. Yeah, you did. Woo! Yeah. Oh, my god. What was your class song? Um, was it For Whom the Bell Tolls? Be honest. Maybe in my head. I don't remember, actually. <laughs> Time marches on. And you're, <laughs> as you're oh walking out, I was like, see you later. <laughs> my thing sounds so G-rated because I yeah. also was the class crooner. Okay. Um, me and the future Miss America. Not even kidding. Whoa. It's, Freaking duetted. Um, is it Breakaway by Kelly Clarkson? Uh, yeah, it's a song. We sang, it's a song. I know I know that was a, a song by her, yeah. We we duetted that at like the county country club at yeah. our senior. Yeah, that was our. Oh my gosh. Uh-huh. And now that's going to be. I did graduate. Okay, good. <laughs> yes. Val- we all graduated. I was actually, I was valedictorian. My dad will be glad I mentioned that. You were? D- yeah. Nice. It doesn't surprise me. My that's dad cool. is very. He tries to insert that everywhere, and <laughs> now that I've had a little bit of Jameson, I'm like, here you go, Dad. Here it is. <laughs> there it is. Softball. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Lambring. <laughs> we love you. That's amazing. But yeah, the girl that I sang a duet with went on to win Miss. She was Miss America, I think, 2009. That's wow. Mm-hmm. So for the rest of her life, she'll the, the thing her claim to fame will be that she one time sang with you. Well, exactly. We'll, right. We'll, we'll right. see if, if it ever flips. <laughs> hey, <laughs> maybe, maybe already. <laughs> Who knows? All right. Uh, in my life. So that crazy solo. <laughs> the reading, reading one. The, what, what instrument is that? Exactly. It's a yeah. piano. Okay. It sounds like an organ. That's what I it's, thought. This is the part where I was saying that George Martin ended up on the album in a very audible way. Oh, <laughs> oh. it is a piano, but it is recorded at half speed because it's, you, I mean, it's really fast. It's like, like it's very, it sounds very Baroque, right? Right. Uh, and yeah, it sounds weird. There's something off. And I think it's because it's recorded at half speed. So when it's played back, it sounds twice as fast. Oh. But that's him. And I guess he did it when they weren't there. That was just an instrumental part. 
And while they weren't the when the guys weren't in the studio, George Martin went in and like just recorded that. He was like a classical musician, so he like played the piano. I wonder what his thought process was on that. I like, don't know. Like if he was just like <laughs> like I want to be in on this too. Yeah, I'm gonna throw this in there. I know it reminds me of this like um on our family's the family computer back in the '90s. It reminds me of this game that I played. I can't remember what it was, but it had a wise owl, and it like oh, okay. had classical music, like yeah. Carmen Sandiego. Or yes, something? no, it was like a. Was it? <laughs> but do you know uh, what I'm talking about? Was it like an uh, Encarta encyclopedia yes. game? Yes. You know what I'm talking That's about? Amazing. You have to go through all the doors. All the doors. Yeah. Every door. It reminds me of that. And you, I am so <laughs> surprised that you know what I'm talking about. This feels like that what? moment in that movie. What they're was like, that? they're like, did we know. just become best friends? Did we just like, become best friends? <laughs> go through the doors. We gotta find that. We gotta oh find my, that clip of that. But it, it played Yeah. It was like a music. harpsichord almost uh-huh. maybe. Yeah. Okay. Totally on the same page. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what it was called. <laughs> but wow. because when you In got a computer there was like that was the only fun there were only so many fun things you could use it for if you were a kid. Yeah. And that was that one was of one them. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like a trivia game basically. Yeah. That's amazing. Alright. Wow. Yeah. This is a huge song. This is like this is, I think, one of the biggest songs that has a life outside of the Beatles because so many people use it for, like, weddings and oh, really? graduations and that okay. kind of it's thing. It's a very, yeah. Was this a number one out of curiosity? I don't think so. No? Okay. No. I think it's, it, it's since then. It's in, in years since. It's, it's gained a lot more popularity than stuff. Like, even when I see it on this album, it stands out to me because I'm used to hearing it by itself. I'm used to hearing it in, like, videos and stuff. Hmm. All right, a couple more. Wait. Okay, wait. Uh, Takeaway was... I mean, I didn't have a lot to say about this one. I just I, I appreciated like the drum work on it and the percussion yep. that they were doing. I was like just trying to pick something out that I thought was like kind of cool, but I felt like yeah, this is probably one of the the more forgettable ones. I think yeah. on this. I think um, I read the lyrics for this and I was like, yeah, uh, kind of vapid. Was this necessary? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, yeah. Beatles. They need to get to that <laughs> thirty-three, thirty-five minutes. Like I feel like they have like like that dialed in like okay yeah. we need one more to <laughs> no but this it's if there's songs that don't hit as hard it's it's good to talk about them because we've had so many of those in the past several albums i think it's interesting this one now this is there are no covers this is the first album there won't be any covers for a long time it's all originals um and they were they were there's just a different standard for songs now than there was on pre- previous albums so it does stand out i think the fact that there's maybe they just loved it's all so 60 years later, so I don't know. Maybe it felt different yeah. at the time. Yeah. It, but this feels almost like this could have been on the last album. This could have been on Help. And yeah, I would, sure. And, like, and it wouldn't have made a difference, but none of these other songs could have been. And that's, I think, what that what makes it stand out. Like, none of, like, Drive My Car, Norwegian Wood, those couldn't have been on Help. They would have stood out too much. Right. All right, If I Needed Someone. Um, I'm looking at my notes and I don't understand my notes on this one. <laughs> so I'm just going to write what I said. I just said, I think it's George Harrison. And then the other note <laughs> yeah, I had was it like, I love this tune. Yeah. Like maybe number one on the album, but. This is a great song. Harmonies. And again, this is like, this is telegraphing a little what he's going to do later. Sure. But that sounds like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. That sounds like... Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. True. Good point. I keep trying to pick out another harmony part, and yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. George was always... His lyrics were a little kind of a buzzkill sometimes. Like, mm. he, he didn't... He wasn't always happy. 
his lyrics. Well, I can relate to that personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Convicted. Yeah, no overdubs wow. there. That's just three of them. Isn't that crazy? That is <laughs> unreal. Uh, they were so Are there any conspiracies that. about these guys being like lizard people or like aliens or something? Oh, able to sing at that oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I many. bet there are. Isn't yeah. there some crazy conspiracy about like Paul like mm-hmm. like being replaced by like like Paul? Yeah, died, that's but coming then, up. Like, that's coming up, but I think the next album maybe it's oh, around that man. era, sixty five, sixty six, where there was a car accident. Apparently, okay, everyone thinks that Paul died in that accident. He was replaced by this guy um, who was a doppelganger for him. And there's all these things you can tell on Abbey Road. He's the only one. I mean, there's so many. When we get to these things, I can I can tell do you, you about. I them. just want to know: Do you buy into it, or do you like this no. is ridiculous? <laughs> no, it's ridiculous. Okay, all right. Just, just he was, yeah. I mean, he, if it was, <laughs> sounds so terrible. If it was Ringo, I think you could pull it off, maybe. Okay. <laughs> but we're talking about Paul McCartney, who's right. like, yeah. you know, this, he's kind of otherworldly talented. And so right. it's like, it's kind of hard to replace that guy. And then it's true. no one notice and have him write a bunch more songs. You know? Yeah. Um, okay. I love that song. I think that to me, that's like, um, it's like a quintessential rubber soul song and just Beatles song, especially the kind of the mid sixties, um, period that they're in now. It's just like, it's so good that those, those harmonies that the, uh, the jangly guitar, the kind of the, the arpeggios that he's playing there, the burn down, 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 they're going to do a lot, lot more stuff like that. Um, cool. And I think so- something uh, that kind of goes with that, that I, I was reading about a lot of people around this time agree that this album was kind of the, f- one of the, f- the, maybe the first big album where they switched from just worrying about songs and singles to having an identity of an album. Okay. And then after this, you would have a curated collection of songs that would, that would feel like it was, you know, it was meant to be listened to in a row. The track listing really mattered. But before this, it was kind of just a collection. It was just, it was just bulk. It was Mm -hmm. like an album was just, a large record <laughs> that had more right. songs on it, you know. And this one's like, oh, we, this is a this is an art form. Mm. Um, and so, what goes on what side matters. The order, of course, matters. All that stuff. The running time. All right, which brings us to. Is this the final track? The final track, man. Run for your life. Oh. Run for your life. <laughs> Not a me too friendly song. <laughs> oh, is this the stalker song? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Holy yeah. crap! Right. I felt. Okay, first of all, my takeaway was like, John needs therapy. <laughs> um, 100%. Second thing was like the writing style, though. I was like, okay, he just kind of like defaulted to his old thing on this. Oh, okay. It was my feeling. I was like, he's not, he's just like getting something out. So actually, if he's like in a stream of consciousness and he's not re- really thinking about like the quality of the song, he's just trying to get something out. And what he's getting out is clearly unhealthy, but in that moment, he's going to default to what is like his most familiar sound, style, approach. So the song sounds more like something from their previous recordings to me, but the content, Mm -hmm. honestly, is kind of disturbing, if I'm going to be honest with you, in my opinion. like, Well, yeah. Right? But, I mean, I hear hear that, but I don't... I don't think you could release that now. Mm. I think, I mean, you could release it now, but then you'd, <laughs> it wouldn't be fun to deal with. Right. right. And like, you know, I am someone, 
I mean, I have been in like a controlling relationship, but like it doesn't, I didn't hear it and it, I did read it like, oh, wow. Like it didn't offend me. Um, it's, it's just like, cause I also see, like I have a lot of crap too, you know, mm. even, yeah. even when I was in a dysfunctional relationship, like I definitely contributed, you know, I saw my crap too. Mm. So it's kind of like, I don't know, but I did, it was interesting hearing it, reading the lyrics and being like, oh damn, like that yeah. would, that would not be received well now, but like, right. I, and I understand why, but I also like understand it in the context of Yeah, that time. I kind of felt the same way. I didn't judge it too harshly just because, first of all, I kind of like where, you know, if you're playing Call of Duty, you're maybe less likely to go and like shoot somebody out of frustration, <laughs> yeah. right? It does right. feel like in a way, maybe right. he's he's a super jealous guy and he's getting it down on paper and yelling it in a microphone yeah. and yeah, maybe sure. that's a bit cathartic for him. Mm-hmm. Um, that I mean, and that and that is rose-colored glasses. That is like giving him every benefit of every doubt. But also, like, I do think we're talking about him being a character, and I do feel like part of it is that too. Like, it could be also interpreted as that, where it's mm-hmm. not, it's not super personal. It's like he's imagining. It's like, wouldn't it be funny if, or wouldn't mm-hmm. it be interesting if? And Makes sense. I think also this reminded me. I don't know when the last time either of you guys listened to like like a Dr. Dre album, uh, like Chronic. Or, um, He's West Coast. I, I ain't right, ever listened. I was gonna say I know there's well, East Coast. There are, I'm like <laughs> no coast. Well, there are plenty of sorry, Dre. There are p- plenty of East Coast analogs, but basically, you listen to it and you're like, oh yeah, I like this music, and then you listen to it and you're like, oh my god, like this is incredibly like chauvinistic and like disrespectful, and. And to the point where I'm like, this isn't even making up for how good the music is. Like it's just gross. <laughs> and so it kind of reminded me of that too, but. Not in the fact that it was gross, just in the fact that, like, it feels like it's a character. It feels like it's hyperbole. It feels like it's meant to be ridiculous. Yeah. But again, I'm like, I would never release that song. I would never want, even as a joke. And I like, and my music is pretty sarcastic. Yeah, you're a little snarky sometimes. (laughs) And, like, I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah. Well, no, it seems like maybe he's taking... And, and I definitely understand this. Like, maybe he's taking one of his, maybe he is a little insecure. Like, mm-hmm. and he's just like, it, 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 when I listen to it and read the lyrics, I don't feel like alarmed. I, but I also understand, like, right, how it could be taken that way. Yeah. But like, it, it seems like kind of an over the top, here's a rep, here's a rep, this is how it could be. And mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. And maybe those are like some deep, Maybe that's like a, I mean we've all I felt that way. I mean it kind of feels scared to admit. Sure. Yeah, but yeah. like no, I think we all have. I think we've sure. all felt that way, and so he's just freaking going there. And, yeah. And for the listener who hasn't who isn't <laughs> listening along, the, some of the lyrics of the song are, "I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man." <laughs> You better watch your head, little girl. Better wonder where I am. You better run for your life if you can, little girl. Hide your head in the sand, little girl. Catch you with another man. That's the end, little girl. <laughs> Which, sounds like, that sounds like Misfits lyrics. It does, I was going to say it sounds like a rap lyric. Like, yeah. It sounds like something from the early 90s. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, a complicated song. I also like... It's kind of funny. I think that we end albums differently than we used to. I think nowadays, anytime I've had to end an album, I want to pick something that's somewhat poignant and 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 good. <laughs> you know? Like like it's something that like is a is a nice at least a period. It doesn't have to be an exclamation point. Right. But like it shouldn't be a question mark. 
And I feel like this one is a question mark. It's definitely a question mark. Yeah. yeah sure. It's yeah. like, I mean, I don't know if I would call it good. Right. Yeah. I would call it interesting. Right. Or like, sure. And like something that probably wouldn't work right now. But. Well, and I think logistically, I think back then, like they were, they were, you had to listen all the way through to the the end sure. of the album. So it's like the the last song was the least statistically. Wow. The one that was going to be listened to the least. The mm. fewest people would get yeah. to that song. So I mm. think that in some ways, whatever the last. So in this case, it's Michelle and Run for Your Life. Those are the songs that are on the end of each side. So presumably, the second the side B would be the real stinker <laughs> or whatever. Right. But like that's the one that they were like. This is the one that we care about people listening to. Yeah. Them. And but they they would obviously we're gonna get to Sgt. Pepper's and that is a doozy. The end of that one is definitely not that. So I think that we're actually maybe about to see them over the next couple albums revolutionize that whole thing. Hmm. Interesting. Put something at the end that's even more interesting than the rest of the album wow. together. Wow. Uh, I have down here that um, most of the sessions for this album ended around three a.m. So okay. this was definitely a switch. I think a lot of their other stuff had been um, daytime recordings. Yeah, maybe a little more, more normal. I love hours. that. I like when you. I think Bob Dylan like recorded like an album like only at nighttime with Daniel and Wah, like in New yeah. Orleans, like rented out a house. And it feels that way too, right? Yeah. It feels it's especially if you if you were, if you go back and listen to even the last album, it's just much brighter. It's much more pop. It's much more kind of formulaic. Hmm. And this feels like they really sat with it and played it a bunch of times and then threw some stuff at the wall and tried some stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, it was released on December 3rd, 1965. It was recorded uh, between October 12th and November 11th, so only a month. Hmm. Um but so they didn't have, have a, the same kind of like touring schedule stuff. Like it's a good right, really focus seems, in on it. It seems like even though there was less period of time, it seems like they maybe used that entire time to record. Whereas the other albums, they were coming home for a couple of days, getting as much stuff as they could done in 24 hours and then getting out. Um, released on the same day, as far as I can tell, I double checked this. It says that th this single was released on the same day. So this is very interesting. We've, we've, Notice this on a couple of these like these albums. Um, they would release a double sided single like the day of or a week after the album is released. Uh, really? which I don't yeah. I don't understand. Again, I'm looking at this, I'm like, maybe that's wrong, but like for She Loves You, no, hold I wanna hold your hand. It was the album had just dropped and then they released this a week after. Which I think wow. is so cool. Which never lands on a le on an album. It was right? never on an album. It was but never. I on think an album. they knew yeah. it was so massive. They knew it, "I Want to Hold Your Hand" was going to be such a huge smash that they were like, "It doesn't matter. We're just going to release it now." Which has literally influenced me, like with some releases. Like I'm never going to have "Hey Jerry" or "Wasted Years" on like a. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to promote myself, but like I'm never going to have do. those on an album. I'm just going to let them be singles. Like yeah. after we're doing this thing, I'm like, yeah, I like it. What a gangster cool move. I like, like it to too. Do. Yeah. Like just have some singles let in them the hang spirit out. of that. Two singles uh, that were released basically at the same time as this. It was a double-sided one. Uh, B-side was Day Tripper. So you can really hear them. They're settling into their thing. Yeah. It's like backbeat, huge harmonies, some kind of cool guitar thing, mm -hmm. and then syncopated kind of... They have a lot of that going on in those big harmonies. 
They do have such a cool, like, vocal approach, don't they? I know. Wow. They really do. And I love how they belt. These guys belt. Yeah. Like, when, it, when yeah. it's necessary, they really do. There's that Stratocaster. You can hear it. It's I a little did, different. I had that in my notes. Um, not to spoil it, but... No. This is kind of an update on Twist and Shout. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a badass guitar. It is. And I don't want to sound like I'm proud of myself, but I had it in my notes. Like, this guitar sounds so cool. <laughs> like, maybe my production here is, it is leveling up. <laughs> it was in your notes. <laughs> All right, hit me with your notes for this guy. Well, honestly, so a little backstory for me on this tune. I, I feel like, so one of my favorite, five favorite bands, The Bad Brains, covered this song mm-hmm. on a live album called The Youth Are Getting Restless. And it's done in like a reggae style. So when I heard it, it was hard for me to take my head out of hearing the Bad Brains version because I felt like the Beatles were covering Bad Brains, but it's the other way around, right? Yeah. Wow. So it was interesting to hear the interpretation of it hmm. melodically because it's a little bit different than what the Beatles did. But I love this song, just the bones of the song, the yeah. structure of the song, and I love the guitar sound too. I thought the guitar sound yeah. I was like, okay, that's different. That's a different tone. I don't know what they did there, but it's different. Reminds me of Pretty Woman, mm. kind of that oh, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Don't know, no, no, no. I definitely hear that. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I love those riffs. I love that the um, the first note that you hear him sing in the song. You know, we have this extended intro. You have this really cool guitar part, and then the the, the vocal is. She's a big teaser. Yeah. She's only It's got these big leaps. Mm. Like it's not a, it's a weird, it's kind of a strange melody line. Yeah, that's true. It's an interesting choice. Right. But I love, I love it. It's I'm like, so, so great. Speaking of which, I mean, what was your, what is your guys, so I'm not, I'm not like proud enough to ad- admit mm. like, what does t- day tripper mean? Is this like another nowhere man thing, or like what did you guys interpret that as? Like, oh, I have no what idea. Is, what is a day tripper? I didn't get to the, to the lyrics on this one, so okay. <laughs> I don't know what. I the mean, words it sounds are. cool. It sounds like a, like a dangerous woman or something like that. But yeah. like she's a day tripper. Like you better watch out. But I don't it sounds really like quite she's understand. Leaving town. Okay. She only played one night stands. Now she's a big teaser. She took me half the way there. So it oh. sounds like it's something gangster. To, yeah, that's a, she's fits, playing fits the in. Beatles. She's playing John. I love it. Yeah, yeah that is, that's what it is. I think it means she's leaving on a train. Okay, so like ah. she's she's a day tripper, meaning like yeah. She, I thought she'd be sticking around, but she's she's giving me the. She's swirl. going to Belgium. She's leaving <laughs> London. She's yeah. going to Belgium. <laughs> yes, uh, just like Ticket to Ride. Actually, she's got a ticket to ride, but she don't care. That's a similar story, actually. Can you imagine, like, okay, this is like a grandmother. Right? Yeah. And she's telling her like grandkids, like, yeah. Paul McCartney loved me and yeah. I left. That one's about me. That's wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's, that's even a flex. Cool. That's cooler than the Beatles, um, in my opinion. That- <laughs> you need to get her on the podcast. Yeah. yeah right? Wow. If you're out there, please Lady, contact us. If you us. are the person <laughs> that Day Tripper is about, please contact our podcast. My cell number is. <laughs> All right. Um, last song for the day. Uh, we can work it out. Have any of you guys heard this song before? Yes. I think so. I okay. mean, I definitely heard it today. Yeah. But <laughs> okay. I have I have heard it. Like just the like I feel like I've heard it in like sync 
like advertisement yes. or something before. This one is solidly out of the love song fold. Is this Paul? Okay. Who wrote this tune? I think both of them. Okay. I think John is the fussing inviting my friends. Mm. So it sounds like he's that part. It's a great contrast between the A and B section. Yes. Totally. Such prominent accordion in this. Oh, I didn't even yeah. notice that. I know it's because I'm focused on the lyrics, yeah. right? You can hear it in the right channel. Some interesting timing stuff. I love stuff. that it like mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's like an accordion. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's slowing like, down. Yeah, and then and there's no click track, right? So they're borrowing no. time on the tape. And uh, I love no click track. Yeah. yeah, it's a great song. Like I feel like it's a great folk song. Yeah. So like, just the the words of it. Yeah, frankly, I mean, uh, between uh, Norwegian Wood and In My Life, I actually think that this was my favorite song of the whole week, actually. Yeah. Um, I think part partly because of the unique time signatures. I was also appreciating that, like, wow, they really get to the point fast. Like, somehow they've, like, really mastered this, like, verse to chorus transition to, like... yeah bridge thing like back, yeah. like there's never a moment where you feel like ah this thing is lagging on it feels like they're taking you on this journey musically like lyrically sonically yeah that you never get bored of it right yeah and it's and tight when, and when they got to the fussing and fighting part i was like wow this was out of the box mm-hmm. for that time it's also remarkably beautiful like it just like draws it draws on a different it seems like like Eastern I don't know European how to explain. Almost. Like that book we've been reading, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, right? It talks yeah. about like two parts of your brain that yeah. you're working with in concert with one another and like mm-hmm. one takes over the other. I feel like this song actually, hmm. in one part, it's catering to one emotion or one emotional yeah. response musically of a person that's listening. Hmm. And then wow. it moves to that fussing and fighting. It's like, okay, I just took you out of that and, and flipped the script. And brought you to another place. Yeah, it's making the same argument in two different ways. It's saying, think of what you're saying. Uh, things may fall apart before too long. We can work it out. We can work it out. It's very optimistic. And then it gets to that part and it says, life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friends. I've always thought that it's a crime. So I, I will ask, ask you once again. How Almost like prophetic. Because I feel yeah. like this song is like almost like inspired by their infighting. I don't know if that's true or not. They were like it starting be, to have like yeah. tension and stuff. But yeah. like John's, like he didn't know it. John's life is coming to an end not too long from, yeah. I, mean, I don't know if it's a decade or however long it is. But 15 years. 15 years. Point, yeah. It doesn't have much time left on earth. Like, what are we pissing and griping about? Like, let's work this thing out yeah. and, and see wow. what's important, you know? Yeah. So, Stephanie, thank you so much yeah. for being with us, for going through this, for bringing your own, your own experience to this. I'm just going to ask yeah. Stephanie, <laughs> after this episode... Yeah. Do you think you'll take a dive into the Beatles a little bit? Like You know, I think like You don't d- have to say yes. No, I know, but I I might. I, you'll get a maybe. I I'm curious just because like I I at least want to go and listen through even if I'm not reading the lyrics, like just listen to the first couple records. Yeah. Which, you know, I've listened to before but like intentionally and then listening kind of for the things that you referenced. I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah. Like it it inspires me to like your conversation today, our conversation today, makes yeah. me makes me want to hear what you are referencing. Yeah, so, where they're coming from. So there's a chance. 
Cool. Okay. That's cool. Okay. Well, if not, you can always listen to the podcast too. That's true. That's true. I definitely mean to do that. And I know Josh is going to love it. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Shout out to Josh in the future. Hey, Josh. Ian, why don't you rattle off all of Stephanie's stuff again? Her album, which is fantastic, is called Autonomy. Autonomy. Yes. Stephanie Lambring. Which we have a couple copies on vinyl here today. Thank you so much for bringing those. Very grateful for that. If you are vinyl. uh, people collectors please like find her album if you wherever that you buy your your vinyl from where is it is it distributed through a particular vinyl uh, distributor uh, you can find it online find it online okay yeah. so just the find groove records the groove records is currently like they're the ones mailing it out for people that aren't local okay yeah cool mm-hmm. okay so groove records if if vinyl is not your your jam then definitely um, find Stephanie on wherever you listen to music on all the major platforms, Apple, Spotify, not CD Baby. I was going to say CD Baby. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, you, give it a whirl. Yeah. Napster. Napster. Um. Yeah, right. <laughs> Forget you guys. But LimeWire. I mean, in all honesty, Stephanie, yes. we're just honored that you're with us today. Yeah. That album is, is and will be a timeless um, record and something that was just in all honesty and I'm just like sharing from my heart right here your friendship uh, getting to be somewhat in the loop of watching that uh, develop and emerge conversations and knowing where you're at at the time it has been one of the biggest blessings for me as a musician writer artist to get to observe and watch this um, that has inspired me as a songwriter, as an artist. And I think it's honestly one of the most important pieces of art that has come out of Nashville in the last decade. And I applaud you for your, your courage, your bravery, your ability to write down what you've written down and the prowess of your songwriting that just, you're so punk rock <laughs> in a sense. It <laughs> just basically put the middle finger up the music row, which mm-hmm. there's a lot of great people on music row, but what you did was exceptional. And Thank the you. album is beautiful. And I said it before I say it again. When I saw you guys at the Bluebird that night and you played Joy of Jesus, and it took me through the side door of church in a way that I haven't felt like I have connected with God that way through that song in such a long time. It was such a breath of fresh air and inspiration for um, just exploring spirituality and, uh, and religion. That it just is precious to me appreciate you and i'm grateful for your friendship and who you are and what you're doing in music so y'all please follow stephanie she's one of the most important artists that exists one of the greats yep. thanks yep and someday we'll be able now. to say i knew stephanie <laughs> thank you so absolutely much love much respect <laughs> all right thank you stephanie again thank you and we will see y'all next time yeah ian making me cry Sorry. oh my god it's thank you